Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi, everyone. I'm Maya. I'm Ace. And today we will be discussing um, advocacy as an adoptee. We are joined by Grace and May. Hey, I'm Grace. I'm adopted from Zhenning City in China. And my main focus in advocacy is anti-racism. Hi, everyone. I'm May. I'm adopted from Yangchun in Guangdong province. And similarly, my focus in advocacy is also anti-racism, as well as just greater AAPI advocacy. Awesome. Well, we're really glad to have you guys here today. So to start the discussion, I'm going to ask, how did you guys become an advocate? I, I would say for me, it was a little more of a recent thing. Like I grew up in a small conservative town and I was just sort of like, it doesn't really affect, like it affects me, but it's not that big a deal. It was something I sort of got used to. And then it wasn't until I started getting involved in politics in as a whole when I sort of realised how much it did affect me and how much it was up to me to change things and educate people you know and I it got to the stage where I realized I couldn't ignore it because I you know it's something I go through every day I can't just ignore it like I had been all the time so I think that's sort of fun but it's not really a sort of this is exactly when I think it just sort of happened over time yeah I think for me it was definitely when I was in high school at least because similarly like I grew up in a very not super conservative but just very very white like rural town and a lot of people just like didn't like they just weren't aware that like you know racism still existed or whatever so I think for me it was just like a culmination of my lived experiences that made me want to learn more about like the history of like Asia and like China and just in general like Asians in America and like why these things are happening uh and then in college now, like I'm part of our Asian American Student Union and I'm part of our, or I'm the chair of our advocacy committee. So like that's really helped me learn a lot more about like non-adoptee specific issues as well. Yeah, I think throughout the whole thing, it's always been centered around non-adoptee voices. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in several other anti-racism groups on Facebook. Um, I'm in my works, um, Race and Equality Network. But obviously, most of those people are non-adoptees. So it wasn't really until I actually had to to look further into into being adopted when I sort of learned how it affected me. Like not like not just as an Asian person, but as an Asian adoptee. That was like the last bit I really kind of explored unintentionally. Wait, no, I feel that exactly. Like, I feel like in high school, I just, I was tired of, like, feeling so different from, like, everyone else who was white. So I just went completely, like, Asian. I just wanted to learn so much about AAPI culture and, like, history and everything and really associated myself with, I guess, non-adoptee AAPI culture and completely skipped over my adoptee identity. So then now, especially since last June when George Floyd was murdered, like, that's when I really started looking at what it means to be a transracial adoptee because like I just so strongly aligned myself with being Asian that I didn't like similarly I didn't understand how being a transracial adoptee 
impact of anti-racism and like just in general like my everyday life mm-hmm. yeah same here um my school was very diverse so I didn't quite have the problem where I was so desperate to not not desperate but where I kind of just went full Asian as you said I've I always felt all right being Asian because I had several other Asian friends in my friendship group and in my classes but it wasn't until I got the chance to go to China on a school trip in year 12 and I kind of realized actually being a transracial adoptee affects me more than just being Asian it wasn't until really I got there and I was kind of like oh my gosh like I'm so out of touch with that side of me and that's when I really started to explore how being adopted has affected me in that way and then obviously like you said when the Black Lives Matter movement last year kind of took off again it was like it made me realize that not enough was being done and you know so many tre- so many people treated it like it was a trend mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't want to be one of those people that even though I was anti-racist before then I didn't want to be seen as one of those people who just treated it as a trend so I think then as well, I kind of stepped up what I did a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I think other than just trying to learn more about how being a transracial adoptee, like I didn't even really know the term transracial adoptee. Like I just kind of thought of it as, oh, I'm Asian adopted by white people. That's it. I I just kind of assumed that was one kind of adoptee experience, but I didn't know there was a word for it. But after just becoming more involved with like, different adoptee groups and things that were posting specific resources for white parents of children of color. Like, I think that's when I started having those conversations, like with my family specifically about, hey, you really need to pay attention to this. And like, even at the beginning of the pandemic too, I I kept saying, hey, Asian people are being attacked. This is something that you need to pay attention to. But then only now it's getting news coverage. And I'm like, this is what we've been shouting for the past year. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's just it's just really tiring for me that it's this is what we've been living our entire lives. And then like presumably like if you have white parents, sometimes like they they'll just like have the colorblind approach and be like, Oh, you're just you're just one of us when it's no, we're not. That's because that's not how the world sees us. So coming back from college, my first semester, like during break, I even before that I kept narrating to my parents that like the world sees me as an Asian woman as like a Chinese woman like so that's how I'm going to be treated they're not going to know I was raised by white parents and I think even before that just realizing that that's how the world sees me and that's how in general like friends or other people see me that's part of why I wanted to learn more so you know when I'm around other people who are Asian like I can I can connect with them and I don't feel uncomfortable but they're like I really strongly iterated that to my parents like even before I went to college they were oh no it's like you like you're just my kid I'm like yeah I am your kid but the world doesn't know that yeah exactly yeah that's definitely something I had with my parents I mean in all fairness to them growing up they did try and get me to connect with my culture they you know they took me to like summer schools where I could meet friends and um you know I when I got the chance they put me into Mandarin lessons but because of how where I grew up it was like I I was getting bullied for it so my my like 
defense was to disconnect myself like in lessons I didn't put any effort in I didn't care because I wanted to be seen as white to kind of fit in you mm-hmm. know and then it wasn't kind of until when I grew up when I realized actually I've sort of whitewashed myself you know I can't just ignore this entire side of me because like you said I will always be seen as Asian when I step outside the door my like people don't see me as the child of a white couple they see me as an Asian person in a way I felt I was almost sort of lying to myself if I kind of ignored that side and sort of really started speaking out about my experiences not only as a child but also as a teenager growing up but it sucks that it's got to now where people have really started to listen you know even last year you know my sister was unfortunate enough to um get involved in some she she was basically bullied and harassed for being Chinese, you know, just around the time as everything kind of kicked off in the UK. And all my friends were like, oh, my God, that's so bad. You know, like, how could this happen? And it's just like, well, th- th- this is what it's like, you know, sort of. We've always had racism. It's just sort of you don't think about it until it affects you directly. And someone actually has to say, hello, someone I know is being affected by racism. It's just the disconnect there, I think, really, for a lot of people. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think for for me, like, growing up, there's this very distinct memory I have when my brother and I were in elementary school. He's two grades below me, and he's also a Chinese adoptee. And there were kids on the bus who were, like, pulling their eyes back at him. And mom was, she reported it directly to the school and was, this is not okay. You need to do something about this. This is racial harassment. And the school, like, thankfully, they were very proactive about it and said, like, it happens again it's going to go on your record to elementary school kids so I'm really glad that they weren't really easy on them after that just growing up it was more subtle things you know where kids would be like oh I want to be in a group with you like you're good at math right oh my gosh and then like my math teacher like in one of my classes in high school when I came in for help he was like oh shouldn't shouldn't you be good at this oh my god no because like my my one friend is also a Chinese adoptee and she had the same experience going um, into math help. And they're like, why are you here? You're Asian. And she's like, I still need help. But these are such, I don't think people realize how mm-hmm. harmful like that, those, those microaggressions are. Yeah, like I even got it at work. I'm, I'm just realizing now like how all these things that I've just never really processed before, like now I'm realizing like, wait, that that's racist well that's actually like another interesting point because i think that um especially for i i speak for myself because i was raised by white parents i shouldn't assume that everyone was but they never i think partially because they don't they i mean they're white so they don't really experience racism that there was definitely incidents that happened to me as like a kid that i just didn't recognize as like being racism um because you know i just you know, my parents didn't sit down and, you know, have a chat with me about, you know, your skin color is different from the majority of the people who live in the community here. And so you may or may not be treated differently because of that. Because I remember when I was in I think, fifth or sixth grade, uh, someone called me a flat face. And I, I had no idea what that went, <laughs> what that meant. So, you know, I went home to my dad and I'm like, yo, what's a flat? I didn't say yo. Uh, I was like, but... Um, but I said, what, what is a flat place? Um, someone called me this at school. And then obviously my dad understood that it was a, a derogatory term. And he wanted, yeah, I think he called the school about it. But just like as a kid, I think there was some like, it was like the, uh, there was this thing that went around where people would like hold up their pinky and say, oh, meet me in China. 
and it's like, oh yeah, Asian people are so stupid. They think that um, your pinky is your middle finger. I think a lot of these things, like I didn't really notice also, because I think when I was just younger, I kind of forgot that I was Chinese. And I mean, because you're raised, right? By your, your white family. And you, yeah. even though you know you're not white, you kind of feel white. I think I've talked about this before. But I definitely think that it's hard to navigate racism as an Asian adoptee, because you aren't, you aren't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Like all of my memories from just when I was younger, like are just coming rushing back now. Like when you mentioned like the pinky thing, now I'm remembering like how when I was at summer camp, the kids would sing the song about like Chinese, Japanese, like that that whole thing, and like do their eyes. And I'm like, wait, is it like wait, Grace? If you experience, is this a global like like camp song? Yeah, like like the why when you go like Chinese, Japanese, like yeah, mm-hmm. and that. Yeah. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, but I think part of that's desensitization. For me, I don't know about the rest of you, but I was just kind of, I was like the easy target to be bullied. So I was bullied for like not only being Chinese, but probably for being the weird, quiet kid that kind of never quite fit in. So for me, kind of looking back, it's almost interesting, like to distinguish the bullying from like the racial bullying and just the normal bullying. I didn't, you know, I never realized how much of it was actually race, racial until I kind of sat down and kind of think, thought like, this isn't just like normal bullying. This is like racial bullying, you know what I mean? you become so desensitized to it. And especially as a kid, you never really know how to react to it. So it's not until you're older and you look back and think, that was like really out of order, you yeah. know? Because I never told my parents about bullying. I think what's also like kind of messed up is that, at least for me, these were like young, like we were pretty young. We were like 10-ish, right? And so it's really sad that already at such a young age, some parents have instilled, because I'm assuming it's mostly, you know, parents and guardians, you're not born hating another race um that it's they've learned that from you know the people that they're around and so i think it's just so sad that already at such a young age they've got that kind of idea somewhat internalized within them yeah and i also think it's very disappointing that white parents in my experience they don't talk to their kids about race you know they're not you are white this is what it means to be white whereas other people for example if you're black or if you're like Hispanic or like Asian, like most likely you will have that conversation sometime in your life with your parents of like this is how you behave around these people or like mm-hmm. like this is what other people might think of you. Whereas it, it just baffles me that like white parents, like I'm speaking generally, don't it doesn't cross their mind to like yeah, like for me too, like parents talk to me about it like a little bit, but it's more so specifically about Chinese culture and no other like in general like Asian American diaspora culture like and I know that they did the best they could and like you know like looking back like as a parent like you could have done things better but just in general like how there was never that conversation and then similarly for my other like transracial adoptee friends too who are also adopted by white parents like never had the race talk quote Mm -hmm. they were just kind of put in the dark about it yeah I mean my family is um not conservative at all which was kind of nice for me growing up and so I mean my mom's doing like her PhD in like some sort of uh, egalitarian <laughs> degree and so but growing up like the first time that you know I ever really talked about race and I'm not quite comfortable like talking about adoption and like the problems that come with that um with my family because of some uh things growing up that happened but so the very first conversation that I can remember that I had with my which was very brief about race was I think back at the beginning of last year when COVID was becoming a thing 
um, I think they just asked, oh, have you experienced like any racism because of that? I just think that, you know, it took them like, <laughs> it took them 19, 18, 19 years to kind of broach the topic of race. And I just also think, because especially right now, I mean, the attacks have been pretty publicized. And I, I don't think my parents have, you know, checked in with me and saying, oh, you know, I've noticed that there's a lot of anti-Asian attacks going on. How are you feeling? Are you, do you have any concerns, et cetera? And I think mm -hmm. any white parent of a person of color, especially an Asian child right now, if they haven't said that, that's really problematic because I don't think they're recognizing that their child is at risk now of racism. Yeah, it's almost like it doesn't, it's like it almost doesn't bother them until it happens to their child and that quite it's very like selfish I mean for me I I was very curious about my adoption as a child because because of how my classmates treated me I was always so aware that I was different to the others and so you know my mum my parents always established yes you are adopted you are from China in a way that sort of made me disconnect more from it because I was like well I don't want to be from China I want to be from the UK like all my friends you know and we've never really had a conversation about how stuff has affected me since then, or just racism in general, partly because I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if you've ever kind of brought up the topic of racism to your parents and stuff, you always kind of be put with how the marks they got, you know? Like, if I ever said, well, X, Y, Z happened to me, they'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, but, like, when you were a kid, this woman used to come up to me and say X, Y, Z. And it always became about their experiences raising us rather than how we felt mm -hmm. growing up. So I just feel like because of how we approach the conversation, I don't, I, I wouldn't know how to navigate that with my parents. Mm -hmm. But it sucks, you know, like last year when the stuff went down with my sister, it was like they, they really looked after her care for, you know, went to the school, you know, all that. For me, because I never really quite, dealt with the same levels or that they know of it's sort of been pretty quiet for me you know like even back in December I was in the city centre and this guy came up to me and just started shouting abuse at me for like five minutes oh my gosh did anyone do anything no it was just sort of like just say don't react to anything and even then when I told my friends mm. afterwards it was almost like uh you know because the, the guy was on drugs admittedly he did come up to me and he started off a conversation by telling me he was on drugs. But, you know, I told my friend and she just went, that's drugs for you. And I was just like, I'm sorry, but just because you're on drugs does not give you the, like, an excuse to go up and start shouting racist abuse mm -hmm. when you don't even know. And so I find it really hard in general to talk about racism just with my white friends because they won't have experienced it. So they never really quite know how to respond. Mm -hmm. yeah it's just sort of the whole disconnect from it all until it actually affects them they know it's quite disappointing I'd say I guess that's what they say why they say ignorance is bliss exactly yeah like, like I remember one time I was at this one like camp or something and this, I was like in high school so we were not young this one kid I was petting a dog and then this, the kid pointed at and was like hey mate like is that your nerd oh dude I forgot about those jokes I, I, I was like, we are like 16, 17, like, oh, did you not learn that that's not okay? But my white friend came in and like went off on him. So I'm really sad about that, but I've also experienced 
straight up microaggressions for that friend as well. I, I just think in general, echoing what Grace said, like, it's just so hard in general for me to talk about racism with white people because they'll never understand it. And then they'll try to co-opt it sometimes and say, oh yeah, I felt that too because I'm blank. And I'm like, yeah, that's awful. I don't want to invalidate your experience, but it's different because you're white. So it's not that added layer of race on top of it. Oh, for sure. When you talk to people, white people about race, you tend to tokenize their friends who are people of color, you know, like she'll say, oh, this happened to me. And they go, yeah. oh, I know, you know, like this happened to my friend who's Asian as well. And then XYZ happened to them. Like, that's, mm-hmm. It's awful, but like that's their experiences to, to talk about like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like maybe they don't want everyone to know about, you know, like is that how you talk to every person of color who says in experience? You just like regurgitate another story from someone else? The, the microaggression I got the most as a kid was when you said, yeah, I'm Asian or yeah, I'm Chinese. They go, oh, cool. My friend's Chinese. Do you know them? And it was like, and I was just like, I do not know every single person who's from China on the planet. But you just go, no, and they go, but like, you're Chinese or, oh, I thought you would. Why would I? <laughs> yeah. Like, I also know with my friends who are LGBT, like, if, you know, you'll say like, oh, my, my sibling or whatever, like, if it's in the conversation, like, yeah, they're gay, like, or whatever. And they're like, oh, my gosh, my friend is gay, too. And I'm like, what? <laughs> how's that related? Like, and this literally came up in a conversation the other day, like, in my family, when we were talking about something. And then we're like, oh, yeah, like, he, <laughs> like, someone was just like, oh, yeah, they're gay. And I'm like, how is that related at all to like, what we're talking about? Like, it's just, and then, like, you wouldn't say that to, like, one of your white friends. You want to be like, oh, like, do you know my friend? Like, John, he's white. You know, like, it would just sound so weird. Yeah. It's kind of like the people who are like, oh, I can't be racist. You know, my I have, like, friends who are black or friends who are Asian, etc. Even when people are like, oh, my kids, my kids are, like, POC. Like, no, that does not excuse you at all. If anything, that should make you, like, more aware. Yes, exactly. I've even had this discussion with my parents last year uh, well discussion I say more argument about statues being taken down and I shared a Facebook article about Winston Churchill and actually you know like how racist he was you know um and he's not sort of the war hero that he's painted out to be over here I ended up having this argument with my mum about it and I, I even said to her at the end you know just because you're white doesn't mean that I am like people of color are tired of being ignored and spoken over to like talking over by white people and that includes me like Mm -hmm. like this racism affects me directly and I think for my for my mum there was just some sort of discontent she couldn't kind of comprehend the fact that I was almost saying I'm not like you just because even though I'm your child you know Mm -hmm. and kind of she shut down there it's quite annoying because it was always like when I brought up my feelings on the subject rather than sort of objectively saying this is what's happened but I just think that white adoptive parents don't do enough they think kind of bringing this child in raising them raising them white quote-unquote will almost like protect the kid from racism or something and then sort of when the child does actually experience racism you know because they are seen as Asian and not a child of a white couple they don't know how to react so they just sort of ignore it because they don't know how to broach the subject yeah with with my family like at (laughs) this was actually at um an event at thanksgiving when i brought two of my closest friends 
home for spring or for Thanksgiving break because both live really far away and they're, they're both Southeast Asian. And when we were just like talking about something like in front of my friends, my parents or my extended family was like, oh, you think you're different from us? And like, Anna called me an Asian elitist when I told them I was involved in my Asian American student union. And I was like, yeah, I am different than you. Like, I don't look like you. I don't have that lived experience. And I had to basically say like, your lived experience is different than, for example, like a black person's lived experience. So therefore my experience is different. Like my proximity white does not make me white, you know, just I live with white people doesn't mean I'm white. And it, I don't know, like if there was some tension there and like, even now, like it took my mom sending out an email to my extended family saying like hey this is what's happening you know my brother and I like we potentially face danger please pay attention to this like reach out to them it took my mom saying that like very explicitly for them to actually do something you know and for my family to actually start like checking in and whatever and like I I just think it's so like disappointing but I'm really glad that your mom um, was able to take that stuff yeah, like I had to tell her or not tell her, but like, you know, have that conversation and be like, but it hey, shows that she's this listening. Is the time for you to be an ally. Yeah, yeah. So that I'm very, very grateful for that, that I, I was like, hey, you need to take on this labor for my brother and I because we're tired, <laughs> you know, and I'm just so glad, though, and so grateful that she's been very, very receptive, like this like past year and just been has trying to do everything she could. And just really, really trying to put it on my extended family of like, hey, you need to pay attention to this because, you know, we're not a monoracial family. Like, you know, our family members are experiencing this. That's good. So I'm just going to I'm going to go back to um, more of the advocacy topic and ask what what does advocacy look like? For me, I think the big part is kind of speaking up when you see something happen like you can't. I don't know, it doesn't sit right with me when someone says, oh yeah, I'm anti-racist. And then when they see racism happen, they're just like, don't start anything, don't say anything. And it's like, no, we can't, we can't normalize it for them because if no one stands up and challenges the behavior, then they're going to think it's all right and they're going to continue with these behaviors. So part of that is just kind of educating people and but also listening. You know, throughout this whole thing, even I've had to, kind of unlearn some harmful behaviors you know just because you're anti-racist and you say you are it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be racist you know and part of that comes back to token tokenization your family and friends kind of going well I can't be racist I'm you know I've got a black friend you know we're part of that marginalized community it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't hold prejudices towards them either just because I'm Asian doesn't necessarily mean that if I was to say a slur or something like the n-word that would make me racist i can't turn around and then go hang on one sec i'm not racist i'm asian it's fine you know and part of that like it's uncomfortable you know learning that kind of actually damn i hold these behaviors myself but if you aren't willing to listen to what you're saying and educate yourself based on that then it's just performative in my opinion no that's a really good point yeah i really really like that too yeah um, so, so would you say that this is something like speaking up uh, like anti against this is this something that you would have to do like both online and offline like if that makes sense because obviously 
we, we live in like offline and online worlds uh, worlds nowadays so how how do you see how do you see that i think i'd say both yeah i agree i i think for me like you know obviously with covid too like it's really hard to do things in person but i think even before that like when everything was in person like i was always someone who tried to use social media for like better to like be informed like rather than just like you know look at people's like beach photos or something like that just wasn't how i viewed social media but i used it as an information platform so i would always try to share like things like information about something i felt was really important so i would actually like call out people online and say like hey it it's not okay to say this thing please take it down or like you know try to educate people i personally knew and that got me blocked by someone but like it's fine <laughs> but in in person too like i would in high school i felt like every day i had to go to school kind of with with like a shield of armor like being like on defense mode to see like if someone was going to say something you know problematic or like straight up racist and like it did happen and i took the kid to the principal's office but i i really believe that to be able to say that you're an anti-racist it i mean i think i feel like a big part of it is like undoing the own harmful behaviors you have and like really recognizing your positionality and just making it a lifelong journey of education but i also think you can't doing all these things alone but never actually like you know have the guts to confront your racist family member you know it's like it's all performative then it's grace said if you don't act on it you know i really like how you both have like brought up how you also apart from educating other people you also have to educate yourself yeah like i've been learning so much just by like especially through my american student union like our organization is very strongly rooted in education and anti-racism but before the word was trendy i guess as well as just in general like trying to undo like colonial legacies and like anti-blackness and colorism and all of that so just very like trying to educate people and educate ourselves on more deep-rooted issues within the AAPI community yeah i definitely that has really helped me learn more about broader issues within the AAPI community that i I personally have not experienced like I never learned any really like explicitly anti-black behavior by my white parents because it was always very colorblind approach whereas my adoptee Asian friends like you know might have had like a colorist comment or like you know like heard something growing up about like the black community. Yeah I think speaking about about blackness it's it's such a big thing you know because I mean I don't want to say this, I, I don't know how to word this, but you know, it's not, it's not a secret that Asian communities in, in general tend to be quite colorist and anti-black in general, you know, and kind of, recon- I think like one step of that is recognising that, you know, the, these are so harmful behaviours that we have, it's ingrained in the communities, like it's up to us to change it, we can't go, yeah, okay, but that's not our problem, because mm-hmm. it's not just educating white people it's educating other asian people black people anyone you know it's not just specifically white people that we have to kind of say hang on what you said is harmful recognizing that even asian communities in themselves have harmful views and trying like recognizing that and unlearning it as well so if someone wants to get involved i guess in advocacy where's a good place to start do you think that starting with educating your family and your friends is a good place to start or you know should you take on like the internet trolls <laughs> for me i started off with friends and family 
like admittedly growing up I was always the one kind of scared of conflict and whatnot and it kind of just reached a stage like you know what I'm not gonna be silent anymore and I actually got into quite a large argument with one of my uncles one Christmas about it because even though he loves me and my sister he is racist as hell like he throws around slurs like there's no tomorrow half the time you know and it you know and at Christmas he, he made a remark um and it just evolved into a huge argument but since then I was just sort of like you know what even though it's my family I should have to sit here and listen to this because it affects me as well you know he's very anti-immigrant forgetting that I am an immigrant ignorance I don't know but I started off with with family and friends kind of saying look what you said is just it doesn't sit well with me it has caused conflict yeah so in some ways would you say it's harder you know to have these conversations with people that you love and are close to versus you know like some random person that you don't really have any attachment to it is because you know you you don't you never want to start that conflict with someone who you're close to but at the same time you you kind of know how to approach the subject with them you kind of know how they react to it if you say it in such as in a certain way so you can kind of almost tailor how you're going to say it to them whereas on the internet you can say it and you don't know someone might be attached to do it someone might you know freak out who knows but with friends and family like it's hard because you never quite know if they're actually going to take on board but you at least know how to approach the subject with them and hopefully if they do actually care about your feelings as a as an as a translational adoptee, then they should be willing to listen to how it makes them feel. Mm-hmm. Like if my friends kind of disregarding my art, nothing. Then at the end of the day, that's a reflection on their view of me that they don't value my opinion on it. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely agree. For me, I I started with family and friends as well, just because it was who was in my general social circle and on social media. It was just who was originally there. One thing that I really struggled with was how to approach it in a very constructive and also just saying this is my personal experience kind of way like this is why paying attention to racism is important also it's like I don't want to dull down or minimize my own feelings in order to make the other person who is white feel better because I don't know maybe that could come off as a little bit harsh but I feel like you know for so long EOC have been minimizing their experiences and invalidating their own feelings to make white people feel comfortable and you know even though they are my friends or family or whatever I don't want to have to baby them and say like oh my gosh it's not that bad like you know I'm okay whatever when it's like no I'm not you know so I I feel like for me it's been a little bit like more of an inner conflict of how do I approach this and not invalidate your feelings but also get my point across like that struggle Uh, but in general, like I would say for someone who's like an adoptee specifically who's looking to get involved with advocacy, like and I can only speak for like API and like anti-racism advocacy, I would say just start reading. Oh, so, like especially if you're really new. So like for example, for me, the way I started was just going online to Wikipedia or whatever and just reading about like the Korean War or whatever, just like trying to in the history of you know other people's experiences and especially like other Asian American or like diaspora population experiences because I feel like that's who I can relate to most rather than some of my friends who are international students from China yeah like there's plenty of resource guides and things out there in general and I also think there's significantly more and more 
uh, transracial adoptee specific research guide or like research guides about you know understanding your proximity to whiteness like the model minority myth mm -hmm. you know just like the ethics of adoption and like the racial aspect of adopt like transracial adoption in general like i'm doing my research project on it for uh my research class right now and i've just learned so much just from reading papers and things so i would say learning about it and like trying to become comfortable with your own identity as a poc first like it's really important definitely that's a good point yeah i think like a lot of them over time i mean i know for sure i'm still guilty of ignoring the the adoption side of it just because you know like a lot of the time i still don't feel I'm still like you know I'm still learning a lot of my old behaviors surrounding how I be myself but you know I, I'm, a, I'm a hypocrite in that sense in that in that like I'll say one thing about everyone and everything and then internally I'm sort of like but well, I'm on just like I believe the, the complete opposite about myself yeah I think the adoption bit is especially I mean I don't, I don't know I think it depends on everyone's experiences but for me that's definitely one of the things I wanted to touch upon last just because of how personal it is you know I'm still not quite there with it but I'll happily read up on like Chinese British history you know um, I did my my A-level coursework for history um, on the Opium Wars and the Qing Dynasty I can read about Chinese history and everything about and all that, but when someone touches upon the topic of adoption, I sort of, I sort of give them one long answer and then shut down. Like there's a lot of areas, and it's going to be hard. I'm gonna, you know, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have to go through, go through with that discomfort than kind of suck up more racism, you know, and have to deal with that instead. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get there over time. You know, I can talk about it, but myself, you know, there's a lot of things that people have recommended. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll watch that. And I'm just kind of going, I don't think I can watch that, you know. It all depends about how you feel about your own adoption and whether you think mm -hmm. you can handle it or not. Yeah. Sometimes if you're a bit more detached to things, it's easy to cope with first, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like, because everyone has um, a different journey that they take in order to kind of reconcile with their adoptee identity. And I think for some people, it may be easier. For other people, it may be harder. But I think it's still good to, you know, recognize that maybe a stage you're at in your journey, you aren't ready. And you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about not being ready because it, it's um, it's a very big and, like, unique thing that not very few people can actually understand. Um, so if you're not ready, you're not ready. And that's that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think, like, especially, like, for me uh, personally, like this thing is that obviously I also want to be very like I want to be anti-racist and, and advocate as much as I can but it like for me it's been it's it's very complex and it's been a bit difficult because I'm like oh I I don't know if I personally like feel Asian like in a way so if it feels it feels like oh do I have like a, a right to to speak up uh, for like Asians if I'm not Asian or if I don't feel Asian myself and yeah, it's just very, very confusing, at least like um, for me uh, when it comes to this. So I'm going to wrap up the first part of this um, interview. And to wrap up, I'm going to ask where, where should you report racism or hate crimes against Asians? First one that comes to mind is the Stop AAPI Hate, where they're the ones that a lot of, they're the resource a lot of places are citing for 
you know, the 3,800 plus hate crimes, they've been collecting a lot of data on that. But I also feel like in general, a, a lot of other AAPI orgs are uh, including hotlines and things where you can report it. Have you guys personally reported any crimes? No, I didn't go enough to have to experience it and go, hey, this, um, I mean, I probably should have reported what happened to my sister, you know. I think not only just like all, all the organisations, but like the place where it happened as well. Sounds a bit kind of obvious. I know a lot of people wouldn't, you know, I myself probably wouldn't have until recently. So thank you guys. Um, thank you, me and Grace, for joining us today. I, I loved listening to your um, your stories and your experience and I definitely learned a lot and especially I really I really like the one point that you both brought up about educating yourself before you can educate other people I think that's like really important um, also thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in if you're interested in participating in one of, in one of these episodes email us at uh, somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next time.